0: It is locked on Jazz for the 20th of May. A recap of the week of Ainge. Plus, we go to the mailbag. What was the problem inside the locker room? Who wants Donovan and Rudy? What are the three goals of the franchise? What can we get for Mike Conley? Other questions all rolling in on a mailbag Friday. It is locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Today's episode is brought to you by bet online, bet online, as you covered this season with more props, odds, lines than ever before bet online, where the game starts. Thanks very much for making locked on jazz. Your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all platforms and greatly appreciate you taking the time to do it. And on YouTube, please feel free to comment or, uh, Give us a thumbs up. It helps with the old algorithm game so that other jazz fans can find what's going on with the show. All right. We're going to go to a mailbag in a moment, but I wanted to recap what took place with um, our week of age. And then the the great, some questions back to the Dallas series, our goals as a franchise, Don and Rudy, a bunch of player questions, some interesting rule changes, questions, uh, locker room issues. Uh, we'll touch on all those as we continue. All right. So, the recap of the week of age. I was left with kind of four major takeaways. Great recognition of his own talent. I thought that was super interesting as you ran through 20 years of how perfectly willing to move guys, perfectly willing to trade guys, but kept his own guys at a pretty high level. Number two, that, his, that he, he was able to get little pieces of value different places, um, along the way. And I, I think that the, that he also, you know, those little time and at the same time, he values stars, right? He had that 50 win team. that was kind of cute. And then he went and got Al Horford who pushed him over the top. And we're seeing, he's just, you know, truly one of the great players in this game. And then he went and got Gordon Hayward and then he went and got Kyrie Irving. And then when he didn't have Kyrie, he went and got Kemba. Like he values stars. And then the last piece of the puzzle is I think he valued control that when we looked at Jimmy Butler, And we looked at Kawhi Leonard, and we looked at Paul George, and these one-year contracts that come in and suddenly own the franchise. He wasn't interested in that. So what is the impact of that? So the first one that is a little nerve-wracking to me, quite honestly, is that we didn't make any moves at the deadline. And we didn't have a lot of moves to make at the deadline, but I would guess that Ainge had, by the deadline, had some clear view. It's clear he'd been watching us for a long time and kind of knew what was going to happen that he had clear views of what he thought of our talent and that they didn't make any moves. The deadline makes me concerned that he couldn't get any value for the players that he would be interested in moving at the deadline that would have made us better, right? We were an interesting place at the deadline because we were coming off that miserable January. We were still pretty good. but We kind of knew we needed some more pieces um, and we couldn't, we didn't get anything done. We didn't have any assets to trade. It was a very difficult deadline to try to get anything. Done. But the, the, it's a little disconcerting. The fact that we got absolutely nothing done at the deadline. When you can, you know, we traded Joe Ingles, who was on ACL. And we actually brought back Wancho Herman Gomez, who was super important. Right. Okay. So, I mean, it's not that we did not, it's not that they sat on their hands, but they didn't, the, the player they moved was a, was a ACL surgery, um, you know, expiring contract that you basically, if you didn't move it, you got nothing for it. So I I thought that was, to me, that's a little disconcerting in the sense of if he has a player on our roster, when you look back and that, he has this incredible ability to, to recognize and value his own talent correctly. I don't think the feeling is that he values every single one of our talents as though they're through the roof. Perfect. He just couldn't find any assets. For them, so that's a and, and nobody on our roster actually, I think, has much of a higher profile today than they did in February. So to me, that's that's a little disconcerting when when we think about what does it mean for the future of the franchise. Is that you know he he may have been a little stunned at what the rest of the league thought of our talent uh, when he went out on the market with Justin Zanuck and tried to see what deals could be made. They also weren't going to make a move that probably really rocked the boat of the franchise because there wasn't. There wasn't a window by which you can get that ready. It's pre- that trade deadline's pretty late into the season, so if you're going to do that now, we may see something different, um, and that's worth noting. So that that that's the first takeaway. The second one, I really am curious to see. You know, I look at you know how does he value a Mike Conley, a Boyan Bogdanovich, a Royce O'Neal, um, you know, frankly a Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert um and where does and how does he see them in the star spectrum I mean this is a guy who played with Larry Bird right so he's been around the greatest of stars he's been around Kevin Garnett one of the great leaders of all time he just had Jason Tatum who's moving to a stratosphere that our guys haven't reached you know how does he view Donovan and Rudy does he view them as top 15 top 20 pieces does he view them as potentially top 10 pieces i think that's a super interesting aspect and it's clear what he thinks of top 15 pieces right he he didn't let go of jason tate but any of those trade deadlines or the possibility cuz it's very clear he thought that pick could be one of those guys and at the same time he gave up the, a lot to go get kevin garnett and he then took a lot to when he gave up kevin you know get kevin garnett he also took a lot gave up a fifth pick of a draft to go get Ray Allen. I also think you would generally see that he believes in established talent. That would be the other um, quick take um, that I have there. And that actually gets us to kind of our first mailbag questions of the day. So let's do that. Uh, Let's start off with Andrew's first question to us. He says, based on what you've gone over this week, is Danny more likely to trade current Jazz players for other established players or for picks, this is a terrific question, Andrew. And I and one of the reasons it's such a terrific question is I don't know entirely where we are as a franchise right now. Um, I think we're still contending and trying to win, you know, win a lot of games, and so that leads me to believe we're more likely to trade for current Jazz players for other established players. Uh, but if you watch Ainge's, you know, two different runs when he does rebuild he goes and gets that pick and another pick and another pick. And we're short in regards to picks right now. That's an area where, you know, we're short on play on, on assets in the pick department. And when you look at the Utah jazz, we really only have three players or three ways by which we can build a franchise or any team has only three ways to build a franchise free agency trades in the draft. We only really have two of them trades, and free and the draft. And so right now we don't have the draft assets. And if we went to the deadline and found that the league wasn't as interested in our talent as we are, that's a little disconcerting. That makes it really hard to make moves. It means that just Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck have a, have, a, you know, have a lot of work in front of them um, to try to get this done. The, the other thing I would say on that is one of the things that's difficult for us, and we'll get to this with another mailbag question is it's very, very difficult for us to be able um, to, we we cannot allow players to run, I don't believe, to run their careers out with us. Because when your only moves are trades or draft, if you have a player, you've got to go get something back for that player. You can't refill that gap very easily with free agency. So you, you generally, we did it with Boyan, but you generally need to trade that player um, to go get, uh, that player. Let's go to another question. This one is from C-Dog. What do you believe the Jazz top three priorities are for the offseason? I would go with three things here. Uh, one, rebuild the spirit. I think we really have to rebuild the spirit of our organization, of our of our locker room and our team and our zest and who we are. There was just so much noise uh, Quinn said it. We were looking for a spirit. We were looking for a bounce. We are looking at, it feels as though we were lacking that. We need to add talent. You know, you watch the playoffs at this stage. Um, I even think Miami's got a little bit of a talent deficiency going on right now, particularly without Kyle Lowry. Um, when you watch some of the guys they have on the floor, Boston's great. Like Boston's just loaded. That team is just incredibly well put together and loaded right now. And the Al Horford return changes them. But even You look at the Warriors um, and Dallas has gotten thin enough so that they're not talent deficient. But I think, you know, we have to add talent. And then the third one, and I don't know how we do this, but if it's possible to add back some draft capital, um, you know, I just went through the different ways in which you build a franchise. And I think we're short on draft capital. A great email question came into me about what are the roles of Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and how do they work together? We'll touch on that next um, and how that works. Then uh, we'll move on uh, and and hit some other locker room questions that have come in as well as uh, a whole section of what I would call player questions. Some players of interest, a guard and a center, um, as well as an aging question and a Mike Conley trade proposition. That's all Continues. we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz, brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. The Murdochs have been with Utah for over 80 years, and they have committed to the community, have decided that they do not will not under any circumstance charge you more than MSRP on their uh, vehicles, which is because as really as simple as it comes, what Blake said to me is I don't want to be going to church or be going to um, somewhere in the grocery store and see somebody who I know we took an extra $5,000 for because we could. That's just not who we are as an organization and what we want to be, um, as an, as a company. And so we're just simply not doing those kind of things. It's kind of awesome, um, that that's taking place and that those things that that's happening. Um, and so you tip the hat, uh, to the Murdochs in that regard. And in addition to that, the lineup of the Hyundai cars is just remarkable. The Sonata, uh, as well as the Elantra that was, Elantra was the North American car of the year. And then, uh, you continue, uh, from there, and you look at the uh, SUV lineup, which is the Santa Fe, as well as the Kona, uh, and then the beautiful, beautiful, incredible uh, Palisade at the top of the list. It's all at Murdoch Hyundai at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. Feel free to just hit me with an email uh, if you want to be set up with a VIP meeting. Today's show is also brought to you by Bilt Bar. Built. Coconut brownie, excuse me, just brownie batter puffs. Brownie batter puffs. Woohoo! I'm having one today. I already got my shipment last night. 140 calories, 70 grams of protein, 7 grams of sugar. Plus, they have the Coconut marshmallow, the churro, the banana cream pie, and the birthday cake puffs all available for you. Plus the regular flavors. It's nothing like it. It's a candy bar. Oh, excuse me. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 130 calories, 2.5 fat grams, four net carbs, four grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein in something that literally tastes like you're having dessert. Brownie batter puffs are marshmallow-infused collagen and are absolutely fabulous. My daughter stole one yesterday. I was like, Dad, that is good. You're right. And when you use the promo code LOCKED15, it's even better because then you get 15% off. That's the best promo code running. LOCKED15 gets you 15 off your whole order at bilk.com. Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Locked On NBA Big Board is up in the top 200s of the iTunes charts. Rafael Barlow is at the Combine, giving you all the insight on all the players out there. So make sure you go grab Locked On NBA Big Board as your second listen of the day. So I got an email on this one. And what's the difference between roles of Dan- Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck? And, you know, I'm not sure entirely. Um, but what I would say, on that, I think is that you're, what you're, what you're looking at is that, you know, Danny kind of said it clearly, like, I want to be back in, um, but I don't want all the grind. I'll be honest. He's around an awful lot. He seems pretty engaged. He seems pretty aware of what's going on. And I think his personality is such that he can't really totally leave it. Uh, But Justin's making the calls. Justin's taking the temperature of what's going on around the league. He's got a whole staff of people as well. Um, and you know, and their suppose and and their depth and knowledge of the league keeps everyone kind of up to date on on what the availabilities are. And then I think at some point, at the very end, it's obviously a consensus. But someone has to pull the trigger on the deal. And I I'm guessing you know Zanik is probably the one making the suggestions or bringing the items to the table from what the group has researched and looked at and analyzed and is and and our favor. And then I would guess that Ainge is making the final approval. Someone, Ryan Smith, really, but I'm guessing Ainge has Ryan Smith's um, ear as well as anyone. I mean, someone has to, you can say it's all egalitarian. Dennis Lindsay used to always talk about how it's a group effort and it's all egalitarian. Right. But somebody has to make a decision at some point. Like, you know, that's like locked On's egalitarian. My COO is as much as involved as I am, if not way more. And we've got a bunch of different people and I ask a lot of opinions, but when it gets right down to it. You know, like if, if someone's got to make a decision, I'm the CEO, I got to make the decision. So at some point, somebody has to make a decision. It's Ryan. Ryan's probably doing that proxy to Danny and Danny's making that decision. Let's continue on the mailbag. This is from uh, Brendan. Uh, locker room leadership. It seems we lost that this season. How much of it does that losing Joe? Is Donovan ready and mature to be a leader and Conley a great guy, but is the right kind of locker room leader we need? This is a terrific question. Um, so I actually think we lost George Niang and Derek favors more than Joe. And I, I don't mean that as some criticism to Joe. I actually think what we lost was Joe, the player, right? So Joe shot 40% from three the year before and was absolutely fabulous. And I think what we lost was Joe, the player. Um, and Joe can be mercurial, um, with his personality a little bit. Um, he's a you know, he's got energy, he's got juice, and it's good to have him in the locker room. No way am I saying anything else. But I really think the locker room force that got lost was George Niang's the best human being I've seen in a locker room. And Derek Favors just brought a level of like, well, if he's willing to do that, none of us can complain. Um, in regards to Don, he's just a wonderful guy who's, you know, so wildly talented. I've said this a million times that I think um you know he's losing money by being in the NBA because he could be the CEO of a major company. He's also 25 years old. He's 20, 25 years old with 30 million dollars coming to him, which actually sounds wonderful and is not. It's hard. Um, you know he made 28 million this year. He's got 30 making coming next year. He's trying to learn what that is. He's got a massive shoe contract and an entire massive company relying on him for that. He's trying to figure that out. Um, He's being told by all sorts of millions of people what it is to be a star. He has an entire, um, and he's trying to figure that out. He, I'm sure his group around him is only expanding because it just happens no matter what. And so, I'm not sure how many 25 year olds period are ready to lead a locker room and mature enough to lead. I'm not sure how many 25 year olds are self-aware enough in life to know how all of their actions are being perceived by their teammates or their coworkers or their friends. And I'm not sure 25 year olds with 30 million at shoe deal being told by a hundred different places what it means to be an all-star have any idea what's going on and Don more than most of them have found a way to still be himself which is a remarkable so my answer to that question honestly is I just don't think there's any 25 year old necessarily that's mature enough to lead a locker room um We'll see if there's some exception that comes up. I mean, LeBron was amazing how early he was doing it in Cleveland, but I'm sure that had some issues that came with it as well. Um, and so, yeah, probably, you know twenty five super young. most guys are winning at twenty eight and twenty nine. And so I just I just watched Donovan's life from outside as someone who watched him from the very beginning. I mean, I hope don I mean, hope Donovan doesn't mind. I mean, we had a fairly serious conversation about this. It was short and brief, and I don't want to get into it too much, but I mean, at one point, he looked at me as this, like he says, there's just a lot to being Donovan Mitchell right now. Like, there's just a lot to it. And I think that's super clear. So, my answer to that is probably Donovan's not um, mature enough to be a leader in the locker room as much as he's probably trying to no fault of his own. Because he's 25, because he's got a million voices around him, because he's still trying to figure out who he is, because he's trying to figure out who he is with 30 million. He's trying to figure out who he is with a shoe contract. He's trying to figure out who he is as an all-star. Like, these things all sound dreamy, but they're anything but. And the last one on Mike Conley, I would say, Mike is, you're, you're correct, he's a great guy, unbelievable. And it was interesting in January and everybody's out how excited the coaching staff was about the leadership role he was taking and what a force he was and how much they were almost begging him to keep that role throughout the season. And I don't think he did. I just don't think that's his natural thing. I'd be really curious to go back to Memphis and find out from some people who led that team, because I don't, I don't have a feeling, um, that he did, um, lead in that way. Um, so that's, you know, in that regard, um, yeah, I I don't, I don't, you know, Mike doesn't seem to be, but Kyle Lowry to me seems to be like a heart and soul leader. Like you see it out of Mike occasionally. He's on the floor and he's doing this. And, um, but I don't, um, I, I, I don't think Mike, yeah, I, I think that there's, a, I don't think Mike's like, Drew Holiday seems to like have a little bit of a leadership element to him that Mike doesn't Kyle Lowry does, but you know, it's hard to tell unless you're inside, but I don't, I don't, the coaching staff's reaction to Mike's January was almost like asking him to keep that as though the team needed that. And I think that might be, you know, I think there's a natural thing here that you're touching on that happened, right? Rubio goes, Conley comes, Donovan becomes more of a star. It becomes Donovan's team maybe before he's entirely ready to lead that locker room. Simultaneously you have Rudy was well, in his locker room and he leads in a unique manner, sometimes a little bit too frank, right? You know, Quinn said it at one point this year that's probably something better left unsaid on some things that Rudy said. So th- that was a fabulous question. Um thank you very much. I really um that was a long answer, but I thought a really really fabulous um question. Here's the question everybody wants answered. I don't have it. Um, but this is how many of the following players do you still think will be in a jazz uniform on opening night next season Conley bogey Royce Clarkson so this is like the question everybody wants to know Um, and I really think what's so interesting about this answer is it's actually that one leads to the next so like I don't think like, I'm not one who believes that Donovan and Rudy can't play together, can't coexist. I think all that's overblown just from my visuals that I've watched between them. But, like, if you're the Jazz and you suddenly go out to market and you can't get anything for Conley, Bogey, Royce, or Clarkson, and there's nothing out there, then are you f- suddenly have to make the next move, which is at peak value for Donovan and Rudy, you suddenly have to move one of them? because you can't move any of these other guys. If you go out on market and you actually get a really good Conley deal that works for you, does that also mean that in some ways because of the Conley deal, now that means that you make a bogey deal, right? Like uh, there's Spencer, who's a lockdown listener and very active, like is big on Marcus Morris. Well, if we get Marcus Morris, then suddenly you're probably moving Boyan Bogdanovich. And then if Boyan Bogdanovich brings back something, maybe that's – you move something else, right? So there is a domino effect to all of these. Like, And so this question is absolutely impossible to answer because I don't have any idea what's happening on the first domino. And that's what makes this offseason so totally incredible to see what takes place and how everyone reacts to it. We've got many, many more why I didn't do the show live because I didn't want to ignore questions and I knew I had too many the questions coming in are great you I should do this more often you guys are fabulous with it and if I organize it well where I put the little question up on the screen on YouTube it's kind of cute and neat and everything um today's show is brought to you by bet online a lot of fun going on at bet online the preakness is right around the corner another fun day of horse racing me and my horse racing thank goodness i haven't become completely derelict yet our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest odds news and sports developments including this year's basketball playoffs major league baseball scores fights and even next season's nfl futures are up bet online is your continued source for all your sport wagering info for live betting to playoffs, eSports, and more. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. Let's check one line or two quickly. I was trying to see. I don't think they have the first pick of the draft up yet. They do have all the horse racing. Um, They've got a fun thing, by the way, going on with some of the Major League Baseball. You can bet a series, um, which I thought was super cool. Um, you can also bet uh, the run hit error combination on certain games and players and things of that nature. Um, so there's some actually fun little things there. World Series Major League Baseball right now. Dodgers are plus 450, Yankees plus 650, Mets plus 750, Astros plus 900, and the Brewers plus 1,000 if you're interested in tonight's Warriors um, Game, the Warriors are a six-point favorite over the Dallas Mavericks, and Boston is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Miami. Wow. Boston Golden State's what they think we got coming. How about that? It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks very much for making us your first listen of every day. If you're looking for your daily 30-minute NBA podcast, it's Locked on NBA. All right, let's get to some player questions uh, that have come in, does Gary Harris get priced out of the Jazz free agency price range? Um, a little of this depends on what moves we make. We're way over the cap. Joe Ingles' contract comes off, helps us get a little bit under the cap. Um, we do have the mid-level exception um, available. I do think Orlando's a super interesting trade partner right now. They have too many players, um, and they probably need some veterans. something in that roster, particularly after getting the number one pick, I think there's going to be a huge urgency on them to make the playoffs. And it caught me the other day when Leif Tulin was unlocked On NBA big board and made the comment that he didn't think that this pick was going to move them out of the lottery. And yet, you know, that to me is a little bit of a uh, disconcerting thing if you're them, because there's going to be, once you get that number one pick, you're going to have huge pressure. And they've got a bunch of, of pieces that are overlapping. So I think there's some interesting, you know, areas that they've got Wendell Carter, Jr. Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, Cole Anthony, who I all think are major, major pieces for their future. Gary Harris is probably not coming back. Gary Harris is a mid-level exception player. Does he get the full 9 million? I don't know. Um, but I, you wonder whether there's a sign and trade in there. You might do um, with Orlando, um, I, because they might want some veteran essence or some little depth to who to who they are so I think that's a um that's a really solid uh name to kind of keep an eye out um on for this this off season. um another question that came in uh specific to a player was about uh and i love this i love the fact that the league's going small and we keep still talking about going big was about christian wood um and whether or not um We'd be interested in keeping Christian Wood uh, to start along with Rudy and Don. Now, Christian can go out and play the five. He can go shoot outside. He's a secondary rim defender, as as T. Ray is saying. My understanding was Houston was trying to get off Christian Wood at the trade deadline. Christian Wood's been kind of all over the place. I actually generally think, I might be wrong on this, my my vibe is I would stay off Christian Wood. Um, Just feels like there's a lot more there than what's going on on the court. Um, and so I think I would stay off of that, but I do think, hey, I'm talking about Chris Porzingis. for Zingas, you're talking about Christian Wood, and the league doesn't have anybody over 610 playing. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, do you you know, Mark Cuban gave that whole speech about like, would you, z- we should we zig when they zag? And I think it was actually one of the worst moves ever in like a franchise history when he, um, when he did that in the sense that I think it um, they actually had a championship team that they could have put together. And he then continued to um, you know, he continued to, to, to like go the other direction. I think they could have actually probably won, Um, another championship. Uh, Jake points out something in one of his questions that I pointed out to kind of open this show. We tried looking at every single team at trade options, the deadline, and didn't seem like we really found much. Has anything changed since then that we might get better trades? And the answer is actually, yes, not in our talent, but in other teams situations have all changed. So in other words, they might've gotten a new draft pick. Someone's contract might've expired. Their salary cap situation may have changed. So yes, I do think it might be worth us, you know, going back and doing that same exercise um, along the way. But I, um, I, I do, you know, I think that that's a, um, that's a legitimate kind of good question. But I think, I think the answer is yes. Uh, from uh, he of the, perpetually hydrated. Who is your ideal backcourt mate for Donovan Mitchell if Mike Conley gets moved? Um, I I think you just need size. You just need size and length. Like if there's any, for all the things that have been right about the Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley combination, the item that's been wrong is their size. Right? They're just, we're just really small. And I think defensive minded, so you can take Donovan off, that would be the other one, is that Mike doesn't relieve any defensive pressure on Donovan Mitchell. You know, Donovan is a is our offensive our firepower. It that's a lot to ask out of someone. I think the question you you need to believe that um you need to be able to relieve that pressure off Donovan. Um now the I the thing Mike does is relieves that pressure off Donovan ball handling. You can when Donovan gets tired, you're able to go take a few possessions that go, go the other way and let him um and let him be able to handle. So I think that's a um, I think that's a, that's a big issue. Let's get to the final question from Seth. How much does Ainge, and I've got 23 others, but you guys were great. How much does Ainge value length? I, I think, you know, I think he values some strength and toughness as much as length. Like you look at a Marcus Morris, you look at a Marcus Smart, you look at a Kendrick Perkins. Some players that he held on to for a long time while he moved other players. Like he's been perfectly willing to draft a Terry Rozier or an Avery Bradley, who are small. He also went and got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown early. He went and got Grant Williams, who's small later in the draft. So one of the things I was most impressed with was the different types of players that Ainge went and got at different points in the draft. Peyton Pritchard's not particularly long, but at the 28th pick, he figured out what his value was. And he's been great for them. Grant Williams, the 30th pick, was long and matched and had some other limitations. I think what he's able to do as he moves down in the draft is find players who have some value that work, that he realizes NBA skill. At the top of the draft, I think he believes in length. And then I think there's a consistency and toughness as much as length. And this wasn't the tough, the Jazz were not the toughest team I've ever seen. All right, that was a great mailbag. We'll continue to do it. Thanks very much for your questions. This has been Locked on Jazz. This has been Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. Now go listen to Locked on NBA Big Board with your second listen. Have a wonderful day.